Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. I'm excited to share the first episode of 2023 with you today. And I'm also honored to welcome Dr. Romy Ran uh, in this week's episode. Dr. Ran is a British clinical psychologist, coach, and speaker. She has over 15 years of experience working with individuals across the age span looking to transform their lives. Dr. Ran's specializations include food, eating, and body image, well-being and conscious living, cultivating work and life satisfaction, relationships, parenting and family support, improving mental health, and Eastern meditative practices. She provides one-on-one sessions to clients from across the globe and conducts workshops, webinars, and retreats to some of the world's largest businesses, hotels, and wellness venues across the UK, Europe, and the Americas. Romy received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Oxford in the UK. Before that, she worked as a research coordinator in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University, where she was involved in several research studies on self-harm and suicide. Romy has also devoted much of her time and interest to practicing Tibetan Buddhism. Her continual studies and meditative discipline both inform and enhances her professional work. She is especially interested in sharing the often unknown overlap between Eastern and psychological traditions and recognizes the need for both to ensure transformational growth. In this episode, Romy and I discuss eating disorders and the relationship people have with food. We also cover the mental health aspect of eating disorders and how people can improve their overall well-being through their relationship with food. Please find Dr. Ran on Instagram at Dr. Romy Ran or her website www.drromiran.com. And if you could leave a five-star review at the end of this episode, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Dr. Romy, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me here uh, this morning. I'm really excited for our conversation today. But uh, before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, introduce yourself, please. Thank you, Perkan. And firstly, just to say thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I really value and enjoy your work. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to be able to join you today. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I trained as a clinical psychologist in the UK. Um, and my clinical specialism, I guess, traditionally would have been called eating disorders. Uh, and that's pr- uh, predominantly what I've been doing a little bit, probably 70% of my work has been focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what I would say is in recent, uh, years, probably the last five to eight years, my work has focused much more broadly on the relationship that we have with food, eating, and our body for, in a general sense. So for everyone, not just from like a clinical perspective of when things perhaps uh, aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And my personal interest in it is really looking at how this relationship, how, the, how we relate to food and to eating and to our body can actually be a gateway into all aspects of our life. And when we really explore it, we can um, use it both as a means to inform us um, and to learn about ourselves, but certainly also as a way to transform and to work with food eating and our body um, and, and use that as a tool to then transform all different areas of our life. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and you're currently based in California, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Currently based in California, um, but uh, I get this is the million dollar question. People always say, well, are you there for good? And the answer is, uh, who knows? I definitely moved around. We were living in Costa Rica for a little while, in Mexico. Um, so my work is is pretty global. I'm online predominantly only. So, um, so you know, I'm, I'm always based in different places, but right now from California. Amazing, amazing. So you just like to be in the warm places, which is smart, <laughs> considering That's where great. I am. Um, <laughs> but why, why, what drew you to eating disorders and specifically uh, from the onset? Like, is, is there something 
that you were passionate about and and if you don't mind sharing and why why was that yeah no i'd be i'd be happy to share um and i think it's important to add in um a sort of a very real kind of um well i think within the eating disorder world what you find is that a lot of the professionals that go into this they themselves have have struggled with a with an eating disorder um and they have you know they have a sort of personal investment in it and what i would say is whilst you know i uh i grew up, i grew up in london in northwest london there was definitely um you know my own relationship with food and eating in my body for sure but i think um not to the extent that would ever have been classified as an eating disorder mm-hmm. and so my entry in actually came from uh quite a position of naivety and initially it was from this place of um you know, yeah, I don't always look in the mirror and love the way that I look, but what, why, what would lead to someone to actually starve themselves or to throw up after eating? And so it was really um, initially, and it's not like this anymore, but it was very much this place of separation, actually, mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's, it's, you know, I have my experience of this, but, but there are those people out there that are doing something different. And I really want to understand that. And I'm intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, as I say, it was, it was quite a naive, um, a naive way of looking at it. Um, but, but that was kind of what got me interested is sort of understanding the differences between the way that I related to it and how I was seeing other people relating to food eating in their body and the things right. that they were doing as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and one of the things that I wanted to explore too was around the same context. When I was, I did a course where we did talk about eating disorders and what really jumped out to me is quite often we don't even know if we have an eating disorder. And the reason why I say that is personally too, as I was doing the research, I realized that, hey, maybe sometimes I binge eat too. And, and I really had to look inward and understand the, the circumstances when I would do that. Um, and it made me realize my relationship with food and quite often we get caught in these cycles. I find personally, that was my experience. And I could see that with other people too, is, you know, you'll kind of be healthy and mindful of what you're eating. And then all of a sudden you have these moments where you're binging. Um, so I thought that was pretty fascinating and, and someone, you know, I like to consider myself that I'm fairly aware of things that are happening in my life, but not having that level of awareness, I guess, was was a little bit surprising. Absolutely. I mean, I'd love I'd love if that's okay to share what the defining what the what the moment, the changing moment for me really was. And there might be people out here that are listening and think that this really wasn't a big deal, but this absolutely just completely threw my entire life into a different into a different course and way of thinking about things. Um, And so, you know, as I mentioned, I I had this um, this fascination with eating disorders and this separateness. Um, and I had gone out to Boston. I was working at a lab in Harvard, um, actually doing um, research on suicide and self-harm. Mm. And even then, um, the kind of angle that I took, I was most interested in how eating disorder could be eating disorders could be used as a form of self-harm. Um, but it was still definitely from this place of separateness. And uh, anyway, so I was walking back one day with a. She's one of my closest friends now, but she was a colleague of mine working in the lab. And um, we were walking through Harvard Square and anyone who knows that there's um, there's a few, but there's one, there's an ice cream shop there that is quite famous. And, um, you know, it's quite a cool, a cool evening. And, you know, I'm talking to my friend and she says, oh, can we just stop for a minute? Do you mind? I really want to go in and get an ice cream. So I said, sure, no problem. So we walk in and she, I remember it so clearly because I, I literally remember what she ordered. She ordered. A, a raspberry and mint swell ice cream, but she didn't get like a cone or like a small cup. She ordered like a big, like a tub. Yeah. You know? So I thought that was kind of interesting. And we go out. So she gets her tub, she pays, we go out and she takes the spoon and right there. And then she rips open the top and she takes one huge mouthful of this ice cream and oh, yummy, this is so good. And then she takes another one and then she puts the top back on and puts it away. And I'm watching all of this and I think this is quite, for me, this was quite strange. So I sort of said, well, that's it. That's all you're going to have. And she says, she said one sentence that, like I said, this changed the course of of my life, actually. She said, "Um, yeah, I just, you know, I I eat what I want and I stop when I've had enough. Mm. And it was in that moment that 
it was as if someone had held a mirror up to me and I, like you described not having that awareness I was like what do you, like I had never even thought about especially with ice cream like what does that mean when I've had enough mm. surely there are rules around these things and I mean ice cream isn't really my thing but chocolate bars you know I would eat the chocolate bar and when it was oh. finished I'd try not to eat any more of it and and if I did then that would be bad and if I and if I if I resisted that would be good and and so my whole um construct around my relationship to food and eating despite the fact that I've been working in and exploring mm. this for some time it was called into question because yeah. I started to realize like gosh I'm I'm really not looking at myself yeah I might not have what would be classified as a diagnosis and it might not be as extreme but I have all these rules and I have behaviors and I have um times when I think I'm being good and bad and everything was just thrown in, into place from that one comment and it really let I mean from then onwards I basically the next few years this was before I did my doctorate and the next few years was me in watching people eat and seeing how they explore food and eating and how they make that those decisions and yeah you know that sort of kick-started everything so I, I but, but yes absolutely not having that initial awareness and then turning everything into that awareness of like wow I really want to understand this yeah yeah no thank you for sharing that and I uh, I agree that was kind of for me it was like oh okay maybe I need to explore this a bit more and and understand what's going on what are the reasons when does this happen right you start kind of putting the patterns together it's very important, I think, at least, and interesting too. But what are what are some reasons people do have that struggle with food? And and you know, I think a lot of people have an interesting relationship with food. But what are some of the reasons that that happens? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's a great question. I think everyone in the eating disorder world who who really um, is researching and working with people, there's a there's a generic understanding that ultimately it's really not about the food or the eating right. or even the body image you know right. so you know we start from there and I wouldn't want to sort of pigeonhole you know an entire world of people into into this one category but I think most you know the, the most underlying kind of rawness the core beliefs that will be around shame and guilt and a lack of self-worth um, and that's what it's all you know I'm sort of just jumping straight to the end there that's ultimately what it's going to come down to that being said, um, you know, I've worked with plenty of people where the presentation is is purely um, coming out from a from a food eating, you know, an eat a disordered eating way. Mm -hmm. um, that's not always the case. There's lots of comorbidity, so you you can also see substance misuse and right. relationship difficulties. But but sometimes I do see it in quite a, I would say, a pure form. Um, and then just with some intervention around, um, you know, how to learn how to listen to your body and respond to it and develop that awareness, you, you, you see huge shifts elsewhere and, and sort of that worthiness really kind of can be cultivated. Mm -hmm. So whilst it's not necessarily, um, you know, on the surface level about the food and eating, that in itself can sometimes be enough to really shift and transform whole presentations of and lives, really. Right. Yeah. And, and then based on that, if it's, you know, again, in the general form, if it falls under shame or, or the sense of worth, is there a pattern that evolves from that when it comes to food? Like, if, you know, for example, if I'm, I'm at a party and I feel like rejected or whatever happens, and then I start eating food to, to kind of numb that, is that kind of the way it happens? Is that the cycle for a lot of people or, or? Perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of people. But what I would say to that is, um, you know, the the more restrictive anorexic controlling subtype, mm -hmm. um, although the presentation is very different and also uh, in many ways, the, obviously, the risks are very different. Um, the, the pain, the underlying pain is the same, whether you're turning to food to soothe or you're turning away from food. Um, and so I think that's an important uh, point to make, because I think so often. Uh, depending on our own relationship, we we sort of just see it from that one sort of narrow perspective. And we think those the people that are restricting, you know, I, I see people who are there, they predominantly binge eat. And so they look at people who can restrict and are controlled um, with in quite a light, you know, quite a, a, a an impressive view almost, you know, oh, I wish I could do that. Um, and ultimately, it's it's the same. Yes, it manifests differently, but the underlying mechanism, the shame, the pain, the suffering that is being experienced, um, you know, from an emotional perspective is the same. It's just 
you know, personality type and, and training and conditioning and everything else that would lead people to, um, to manifest it in different ways. Right. Right. And I think to your point earlier, it's never enough, right? It's never enough because whether you're, you're restricting yourself or you're overeating, you're creating that again, cycle of shame, just by looking at yourself in the mirror. Um, I know that would happen to me. So it felt like, yeah, it was never enough. It, it, it isn't. And that's because it's really not about the food and eating. And that's the point. And I think, you know, it, it happens very quickly when you start really focusing on and treating this and we're kind of working on this. Mm -hmm. um, you realize that if it was about that, then the times that you were a bit thinner or you, you know, you, you would just be happy. And mm -hmm. that's not what we see at all. In fact, it creates more suffering because you either have to maintain it or, you know, you're, you're not maintaining it and then you feel crappy about that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It is never ending. And that's the really difficult and sad part when you're, when you're working with, with, you know, with this presentation really. Mm -hmm. So, so what do you tell the clients that you work with when they're struggling with that whole body image aspect or they, they have a challenging relationship with food? Um, obviously to your point, it could be many things that are manifesting out in terms of how they're consuming food or, or they're not consuming food, but yeah, what are you telling these people that are having that challenge and struggle, um, to, to manage that? Well, it's really, um, you know, the way that I approach this is I, I sort of describe it as a two pronged approach. Um, mm -hmm. and I think this is where often when you try to tease apart, let's say, um, the physical or nutritional aspect of food and eating um, from the psychological aspect, I think this is where we run into difficulties. So someone might be struggling, then they might go and see, let's say, a dietitian or nutritionist, mm -hmm. and they'll work on the physical aspects of making sure they're getting enough calories and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then often they're neglecting or they're not really learning how to address the emotional side of it. And then you can go sometimes and see a psychologist and they'll mo mo uh, you know, mainly focus on the, um, on the emotional side of, of eating and the traumas and life and history and everything else without looking at the physicality. Mm -hmm. And so the way I look at it is that these, these things, it has to be not only holistic, but you have to have a very deep understanding of how these things relate and interplay with each other. So the way that I work, I, you know, I have to get to a point where I know the, the person that I'm working with um, is at least, um, you know, 70% of the time is nourishing themselves correctly. Because mm -hmm. the problem is, and I'll, I'll give a, this is the example that I use. Sure. Uh, let's say you, you know, we're in a session and you told me, you know, Romy, I, I binged last night. Um, my, you know, my partner came home, we had a huge argument and I ended up just, you know, hitting the cookies and I couldn't stop and I mm -hmm. feel crap terrible. And that's so, so it would seem that the argument, there was an emotional response. The argument is what caused the leading to the binge, right? Makes mm -hmm. sense. However, what maybe on exploration, what we realize is, well, okay, but you know, you skip breakfast in the morning because you don't like to eat breakfast. And then you got into work and, um, you know, someone was giving out cupcakes because it was their birthday, but you decided not to have it. And uh, it's really cold outside, but you just had your like, you know, cool sandwich or a salad or something like that when what you really needed was something warming and something mm -hmm. filling to kind of really nourish you. And so you're already starting from a place of maybe calorie deficit. You're starting from a place of not being satiated, not nourishing yourself correctly. And then you come home and you have this argument. And yes, it, there was this emotional reaction, which then led to the binging. But there was also all this other stuff that had gone on before. And so what, what actually was the reason, you know, what did you end up binging because of the argument or did you end up because you're starving or you didn't, yeah. you weren't satiated, you haven't nourished yourself correctly. And so the way that I look at this, whilst I know that it's not necessarily, like I said, it's, you know, it's not necessarily about the food and eating, um, on a global scale, we have to start there because I have to get to a point or you have to get to a point where you know how to listen to your body and give it what it needs from an from a nourishing nutritional perspective right and so we start with that of, of teaching the the kind of um you know the foundation of how do you know when you're hungry how do you know what foods to, to choose and what foods your body needs how can you relate to that how do you know how to eat like the literal mechanism of being of eating in a way that is mindful that you are eating with awareness mm -hmm. and how do you know when to stop eating how do you know when you're full 
and how do you know not to hold all of these in, these things as rules and so that's we sort of we focus very practically on on a it's like a training program on retraining the mind and the body to to work together right. and so that you develop a trust and you start to understand that mechanism and then what happens is we get, so when you're doing that maybe 70% of the time, and that actually happens quite quickly. People think it doesn't, but it does. Set to get 70% actually happens quite quickly. Mm. And then, you know, then we, and although we talk about it all along the way, then, you know, when you come and tell me, well, I binge last night and it was because I had this argument, you know, I have a, yes, we'll still explore to make sure, well, what else happened during the day? But if you've been doing this a while, we have a clear understanding that this was something emotional. And then we can start looking at the emotional side of things and looking at what else is going on in your life and really exploring that. And that's when all the other techniques come into play. Right. Um, but you have to start with that foundation because otherwise it's very confusing. You don't really know what's causing what. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that example. And, and I guess a couple of questions do come to mind uh, to, uh, that I would like to explore further. The first one being, so to your point, this person, for example, is has not been nourishing themselves all day, but why is this emotional reaction triggering their need to consume more food? Like, oh, what's the connection it? there? Yeah, re I mean, you know, food ultimately is the cheapest, easiest, fastest, most legal way that you can get yourself to feel good. You know, there's no, we, we eat and all the reward centers in our brain, especially if you're eating things that are high sugar, you know, they're, they're literally yeah. feeding your brain with dopamine and serotonin and all the good stuff. So you're getting a reward feeling, you're getting an immediate gratification of, of goodness being pumped into you. So you have a, an argument, you're feeling crappy, you're getting that, that reward system on a, on, a, on a physiological level. And then there's also behavioral things that have come, that come into play that are being trained as a result of that. So when the mind is, is being flooded with that and focused on food, you're not thinking about everything else. So it's right. also a means of distraction. And so you're learning to use food to just completely numb out and distract yourself. Um, right. And so that's, that's the, that's the other big part of it, but you know, and, and then it just becomes habitual, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, sometimes it doesn't even work in that way. Sometimes it doesn't make you feel good and you're not even distracting yourself and it's just a habit pattern. And so, and then it's, you know, I liken it to, if you understand the brain and how neural pathways are developed, mm -hmm. you know, you're, li you've literally trained, created a pathway in your brain that that's what you do automatically. And so it just becomes before you know it, your hand is in the cookie jar or, right. you know, whatever it is. You're not even aware that you're doing it anymore because it's so habitual. And so part, obviously part of that work is to, is to develop that awareness and see, and see that that's what you're doing. But, mm -hmm. but the, the short answer to your question is you feel better when you're eating right. and it's quick and it's cheap and it's accessible and it's, you know, it's legal and all the other stuff. Right, right. And then on the al alternative side, if you were to eat mindfully, like, I don't know if people like I, I see people myself included on most days, you know, I'm rushing through. So, you know, I'll quickly warm up my lunch and just, you know, eat it because I have to get back to work. Um, so so there's not a lot of mindful eating happening there. And, and I'm not really even aware of the flavor or, or taking the time to chew. It's just of mindless activity from that perspective. So when you talk about mindful eating, what is one supposed to do when they're mindfully eating? Oh, that's a beautiful question. I actually run, I get people to eat with me on session and I do workshops on this as well. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps, perhaps a different time we could, we could run through one of those, but essentially, you know, my claim to you, Furkan, and to everyone else is that probably you've never really tasted a lot of your favorite foods because right. you, you really, I, you know, when you do this, you have a very different experience. And so, you know, the traditional way, the way that I do it is, you know, I would take three different pieces of food, maybe like a, you know, a, a great. Um, you know, some different textures, a piece of chocolate and, you know, like a cracker or something like that. And, um, and so you would start off, you know, just from, from just as an experiential um, exercise, you start off and, you know, you really take your time to look at, let's say you're looking at the grape, you really look at it, you know, you bring, bring it to your lips, you feel how it feels on your lips, you're undistracted, you know, you do this in silence, you would uh, very, very slowly put it into your mouth and not chew and see how the textures feel and see what's going on in your mind, what the anticipation is, um, you know, really explore the whole experience of having this grape in your mouth. 
And then, you know, you would start to bite down and just bite once and let the flavors start to come out and see the juice. And, you know, and look how long I'm taking just to describe this. And when we yeah. do it, we really, we really take our time. And so, and, and then you try it with the next, you know, you slowly swallow and then you would move on to the next piece of food. And what you start to realize is, um, you know, how much you're missing from the eating experience and how much you believe, like the amount of times, let's say people have looked at, um, let's say a piece of chocolate. And I purposely get really cheap chocolate when I do this yeah. because, you know, and people, you know, they, they, they have this anticipation of that it's going to taste really nice. And then when they really taste it, and this is often food that they're binging on all the time, mm. when they really taste it, they, they're like, they, I, they report that, oh, it's got this artificial taste or it tastes sickly sweet or whatever it might be. And, you know, the grape, which they say, oh, I don't normally like grapes, was like a taste explosion. And so you have this completely unique experience. Right. Now, obviously, that's done as a, as a teaching method. Um, you know, I then sort of would send people away and there'd be all there are all sorts of mindfulness um, uh, or mindful eating exercises and techniques that, that I offer out to people. One of which would be, um, you know, try take your lunch and uh, it's called the 30 minute challenge and see, um, try and stretch out whatever, don't just eat continuously for 30 minutes, take whatever you were going to be eating and see yeah. if you can eat it over half an hour. And the, the reality is, is that no one can ever make it because you don't realize, I mean, you said yourself, you wolf down your food, you don't realize it, but at least what happens when you do this is you do tip it because you you're, you've set this half an hour. You take the time to chew. You mm -hmm. notice that the flavors change as you chew. You notice that you get more satiated, quit, you know, more quickly. You notice that there are things you like that you didn't think you would like, and vice versa. And so you end up having this experience that is, it's it's absolutely mind blowing, and it's so beautiful because it's always available to you, and mm -hmm. and we're missing out these opportunities. And then what happens is you get like, um, you start, you know, I spoke about this neural pathway, you start to develop this like enjoyment of the whole process of eating. And so then you want to do it more and more and more. We naturally, we want to do things that make us feel good. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it happens quickly and slowly at the same time. It's like this double edged that you sort of train in it, but then the experience is so great that you want to keep doing it. So my personally, I find it impossible now to eat with any kind of music, noise, TV distraction. It's yeah. like even sitting with my with my kids and family, which I do, I do do. You know, if it was up to me eating in silence, like really focusing on my food, it just the experience is beautiful. It's completely unlike how eating is experienced for most people, uh, myself included at times when I'm not paying attention. Um, and so it's it's an art, actually, and you cultivate it and you learn you learn to play with it. And then you realize that actually this is a much more um I almost want to say orgasmic way of eating food. Yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. And so that encourages you to then want to do it more and more. Right, right. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever done it that way, <laughs> that <laughs> mindfully. But I do remember going to a restaurant where it was like completely dark. I'm sure you've heard about these dark yeah. restaurants and you sit. And I think that was probably the closest experience I've had because there was really no other distraction. You're sitting there in the dark and eating Obviously, you're having a conversation with whomever you're there with. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And then you don't see your food either. So I find that you don't have this preconceived, um, I suppose, judgment or notion of what you're eating either, right? It's it's like a surprise in that sense. So um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, of course, that gives a really different, a different experience in its own right. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about how um, the way we see our food makes a difference. And I think I think it's useful to try it in both ways. I think it's useful to also appreciate um, how food looks, especially if it's something that is beautifully presented, because then you can almost you see it as, a, as an art form, actually. Um, and then that again, that increases the, um, the, the experience, the eating experience. But certainly, if you're exploring this, if you're wanting to um, try out just kind of being present with the experience of the tastes and the, the mechanism of eating and chewing in a way that you hadn't before, a, a dark room is a beautiful way of doing it. Yeah, sure. yeah. And I, and I guess, I mean, when you chew slowly and everything, I've heard that you're getting more nutrients out of it. And, and it's the whole process of eating that is, I guess, good for you in that mm -hmm. sense too, right? Um, and then one of the things I heard about, I can't remember where it was, but 
a lot of the times there's this aspect of scarcity that comes in and people want to consume the food as quickly as possible because they feel like, uh, I'm not going to get this opportunity again. And, and it's not like we're consciously thinking of, about it, but it's on a subconscious level. What are your thoughts on that? And, mm -hmm. and what, what do you tell people when they have that kind of sense of, oh, the scarcity when it comes to food? Yeah, I, I have lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, this is uh, one of the biggest issues with disordered eating, especially when there's been um, yo-yo dieting mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, or, or a history of, of diet behavior, diet mentality. Even if you're not a dieter yourself, you have that thought behavior. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the point to remember, so there, you know, I have also worked with people, um, particularly from older generations where scarcity was actually a real issue. So maybe they grew right. up in more times or in more environments and they didn't have access to food. And it, although ultimately the mechanisms are a little bit the same, I, what I'm referring to right now is the sort of general population where we have this, you know, food is available everywhere, but we have this idea of scarcity. And more often than not, that comes from um, the, the it's it sort of underlying, the underlying factors are our beliefs around food, particularly around good and bad. And so where you see it the most is um, if people have these rules of, you know, I shouldn't be eating this. And so then when they do allow themselves to eat it, they end up overeating or binge eating on it. Because, but it's more from a place of, um, of fear of like, I don't know when I'm going to get this again. Like, this is bad. I should, you know, I shouldn't be eating these French fries. And so now I'm going to eat as many as I possibly can. And, or, you know, they have uh, chocolate come in from the hot for the holidays and then everyone, you know, it's over and now you want to eat it all up to get it finished, you know, and that there's, there's an element of that it, that comes into play. And so part of the work is really, um, when I spoke about the trust before, you know, a big part of the work is, uh, on the eating what you want, allowing yourself to eat these foods at the beginning whenever you want them you right. know, at any point. And with, there are certain methods we use, for example, we use, um, it's called stocking up where you basically have so much of, let's say your big binge food is, um, I've had someone with uh, peanut butter, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you would literally have 20 jars so that even in your biggest binge, there's no way you can physically get through all of those. You might try, but you wouldn't be able to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and I've done this work and, you know, it, 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 people, they'll, they'll go through, they end up going through a lot of peanut butter. But what happens is in doing that and you can, if you trust the process and you continuously just every time I feel like peanut butter, I'm going to have the peanut butter, then within, you know, depending on a few factors within quite quickly, a, a short amount of time, um, people end up uh, exhausting that. And, and then they realize, oh, peanut butter is really here whenever I want it. And so then you don't have that sort of um, scarce, that, that sort of scarcity that's um, like, I have to eat it all now right. experience because you, your body has trusted, oh, peanut butter really will be here whenever I want it to be here. And, 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 you know, what ends up happening is I, you know, I had a client come in and we did this with a number of foods. And then she came in, she was like, yep, we've had me and peanut butter have had a falling out. And she never would have believed it, you know, in a million right. years, she wouldn't have believed it, but it happened. And we kept, we did it with cheese. We did it with cornflakes, all of her sort of bingy foods. And, and slowly she started, she got it. She was like, okay, now I understand that this is how I have to approach it. No, that's, that's interesting. And I guess, it leads me to probably the most obvious question then, um, maybe not so obvious, but there's this whole idea of cheat days that people have, right? They'll, they'll work hard all week and then one day of the week, or maybe it's the weekend. A lot of people have this tendency. I think I have it too, uh, to a certain extent where maybe on a Saturday I'll be like, oh, you know what? I'll be, I'll let myself go a little bit and eat. And I think sometimes that drives the scarcity too, where it's like, well, I'm not going to do this all week, so I might as well get it all in. Um, what's, what are your thoughts uh, around cheat days then from that perspective? Do you, do you believe that's something that people should have or, or they, to your point earlier, should eat whatever they feel like eating and in the right amount of quantity? Uh, yeah, I, 100% the, the latter. I mean, I think that cheat days, it's essentially diet mentality. And I think I, th I want to, you know, I think this is a really good point. Um, to bring up more generally, which is that there is, um, you know, diets now have been replaced that it's not trendy anymore to be to mm -hmm. diet, right? It's right. all about clean eating, healthy eating, all the stuff. 
And the us from the professional perspective, what we understand is that it's just been repackaged in a different mm-hmm. way. And yeah. so, you know, now we talk about these cheat days and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, I, you know, what I want to say about this is that I don't inherently think there is a problem with certain systems. So if people ask me, for example, all about intermittent fasting. Yeah. And my, my ultimate take on that is I don't believe that intermittent fasting, for example, is fundamentally flawed. My issue is, is that if you have a disordered relationship with food eating in your body, then that is just another mechanism to, put, to play that out. It's right. you're not doing it. It's not a health-based response. Whatever people say, that's not what you're doing. It's coming from a place of fear. You're fearful of gaining weight or of your body not being desirable or not looking to you know, in accordance to a socially construed idea of desirability. Mm-hmm. And so out of that fear, you're clutching onto all these mechanisms or these methods to try and control that. Um, I, you know, at this point now, I've been doing this so many years, I do all, I do all sorts of crazy stuff. I go mm-hmm. into meditation, long meditations, and I do all sorts of crazy things with my food, but I have a completely really loving, beautiful relationship with food eating and my body. Mm-hmm. So my, where, where I where I kind of have an issue with this is if, you know, I say to, to people that are starting out, or if they do have a disordered relationship and they are noticing these behaviors of binge eating and everything else, let's deal with that first. Like drop all of the cheat days and the, and the dieting and the health and the so-called healthy eating and everything yeah. else. And let's work on your relationship with food and eating in your body. When you're sweet with that, you can do whatever you want. But let's start with this, you know, let's start with working on that. And yes, to your point, um, you know, in under those circumstances, all a cheat day is is um, a, a, a way for you. It's a it's a it's a a, a permission to binge. That's all right. it is. It's a permission to binge to feel crap about yourself and to then make yourself feel a bit better by saying, "Well, I'm not going to do it for the rest of the week." And then, you know, what if you get to Wednesday and it's not a cheat day and you want a a you know a packet of crisps or something? Right. You know, it's like it doesn't make sense to live your life that way. You're just stripping all joy and, you know, like going back to the point of mindful eating. If you understand how beautiful this experience is, you know, why, why would you want to live your life that way? Right. Well, I guess the argument I've heard, and I could see some truth to it, but um, I, I'll put it out there is, is a lot of people, and I think that's how I justified it myself too, is like, you know, I'm going to uh, be disciplined all week, but then my reward is, this one day where I can eat whatever I want. And and to me, it wasn't like, oh, it's a free for all. It's just kind of being less uh, regimented with what I'm eating, right? If okay. it's like, okay, if I want to have popcorn or if I want to have a piece of chocolate, sure, I can allow myself that. And it would act as a reward. So my my question to you is, do you want food to have that kind of power over you? Because no. I can have popcorn whenever I want and I can yeah. have chocolate whenever I want. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll just put it out there. Um, you know, I'm quite small. I am not, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't weigh very too much, you know, and I, and I have a really healthy, natural relationship with food. And I probably eat chocolate every day. And, I, and it's, not, it's not, you know, I know people will come and say, well, you're just, that's naturally the way you are. No, not true. I mean, I've, I've never been considered sort of completely overweight but I was probably 20 pounds heavier as growing up when I when I didn't have a good relationship with food and eating in this way and I wasn't aware of it and that's ultimately what the research shows as well you know if you look at the research of people who naturally know how to listen to their body and and intuitively eat um, they tend to be lighter so you know even from a from a scientific perspective it doesn't what I understand this this desire to want to control it and to feel that well I have the reward and I have to be disciplined but that's actually it's 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 paradoxically not the way that the body works and it has a lot to do with the brain there's actually um you know systems in the hypothalamus that uh, get activated when you eat in that way and it it kind of causes you to actually hold on to the weight more so I mean that's a slightly more deeper uh exploration to to talk about this but yeah yeah no thanks thanks for uh breaking that down too and and I guess along the same lines that there's all these kinds of diets out there, right? And um, I have friends who are like, oh, you should go vegetarian completely. And and I have friends that were like, no, you should only eat meat. And, you know, and I've experimented with both and, and other diets too. I, I do intermittent fasting as well. And, and I feel like I found an optimum spot where I feel alert. I feel good. 
uh, throughout the day. I don't feel like I have any challenges with energy levels. So I think I found a sweet spot where, you know, I have enough vegetables and enough meat in my diet. But I think people stick to a diet because it's trendy or it feels right based on the messaging they're receiving, but it may not necessarily fit with their body type. And I think there's a cultural aspect to it as well, especially depending on where your family origins are from. That's what I believe. But yeah, I just wanted to test that with you as well. Yes, spot on. I remember um, a number of years ago, I was out, I was in South Africa and um, I was seeing an, an older client. He was um, in his probably late 60s, early 70s. And uh, he, was a sm- he was a small, skinny guy. We, we actually weren't focusing on food and eating, but we were talking about other stuff. Um, but this came up and um, he said, you know, um, everyone had told him that he needed to stop eating bread. You know, that was the thing in South Africa amongst that generation at that time. You know, everyone, he, he shouldn't be eating bread. And so he said, you know, so I, I stopped eating bread. And I felt absolutely awful. You know, I just, I literally felt terrible. And I said to him, so you should go back, you know, go back and eat bread. And he was like, oh, I, you mean I have permission to do it? You know, and I think, I think this is the point, you know, the way that I work is really all about empowering um, the people that I'm working with to understand that no one knows their body the way that they do. And the analogy that I I always give, um, and I'd really like to offer this out, it's like, if I were to tell you, um, you know, Furkan, you know, there's this new approach, um, but you have to listen to me about when to go to the toilet, about, you know, um, what you have to do when, when you have to do what I tell you when, when I tell you to do it, and you're not allowed to do it outside of those times. You know, I think you probably wouldn't go ahead with it, right? Probably not. Probably (laughs) not. Okay. Now, and, and because, and so when I ask you, but how do you know when you need to go to the toilet, what's your answer? Well, my body tells me. Okay, beautiful. So that's the same with food and eating. Yeah. And that's what I really want. If anyone, if, you know, if people listening can take one thing, it's like, like empower yourself. No, it doesn't matter what the, it works for a billion other people out there. You know, if it doesn't work for you, don't keep doing it. You know, it's one thing to experiment. I'm really all for experimenting and for trying out different things and for finding, as you say, finding your sweet spot, you know, providing, I think you need some honesty with that. So you need to know that your sweet spot isn't just, oh, I look really skinny, even though I feel like crap. You know, I think that that's that's an important consideration because most people stop with that as long as they as long as I look a certain way I'm happy with it Um, but if you take that out of the equation you know if you're feeling really good your energy levels are good you're feeling good in yourself you know you feel like you're nourished all the rest then that's beautiful then you found your sweet spot but if you're doing something as you say because it's trendy because someone else tells you to because even a professional I mean doctors other professionals they say stuff all the time of what you should be doing And it's like, you know, your body knows exactly what it needs. Trust that. Work on building that trust up. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're not sure, then go out and get some help on how to learn it. It's actually really easy to do. It Truly, it doesn't take very long even. Um, And you will build up that trust and you'll learn how to how to navigate and listen to your body in a way that feels really, really good. And then you 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 won't ever once you have that experience, you won't ever be blown by someone else's opinion again because you'll know you'll know what works for you. Right. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I agree with you. I think that's kind of the journey I've gone on. I've experimented and I still continue to experiment because if there's ways to improve things and make myself feel better, I'm all for finding those out. I don't limit myself to, to any one way. I think there's, if a new idea comes forward or someone shares something, I'll be like, oh, let me try it out. And if it doesn't work, then I go back. Or if it does, then I build it into my routine. So it's so important to try things out and and listen to your body. And I think to your point earlier, there's that holistic aspect to it too, right? I feel like when we restrict ourselves based on what we hear or what we think should be the way to do things, it creates psychologically a lot of things too, right? Like for people, it can manifest as anxiety or or depression, for that matter, because they're they feel like they're following this diet that's solved a lot of issues for other people, but they're not feeling like it's doing it for them. So there's a lot of stuff that can come up even from that, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't. I mean, you're you're you 
you know, you're spot on in that respect, but it's not even as um, necessarily as extreme, I would say, as looking at it from, um, you know, clinically how it might manifest. I think this is what I meant when I said as a gateway, I think if you, if, if you understand, oh, I'm just following X, Y, and Z because that's what I'm being told to do, where else are you doing that in your life? Are right. you doing that in your relationships? Are you doing that in your workplace? Are you doing that with where you physically live? Are you doing that in how your whole life is cultivated? And this is what, what I really meant. And I, I appreciate you bringing it up because this is what I really meant when I said it's this gateway because yeah. it's su- you're, you're eating every day. So you might as well learn from it, right? It's literally, you know, information that is there for you to analyze and to learn about yourself. It's just being given for free and you have plenty of opportunities to work with it. And so if you, if you get that and you understand that, you start to see like, you know, even the fact that I, I, I often have people that they just don't even know what they want to eat. Now, where else, where else does that play out in your life that you just, you don't even know, you know, you don't know what it is that you really want. I see it it plays out in, um, in sexual experiences that they're not able to own that. It plays out in relationship. They're not able to say what they really need. They don't know what they really need. They're doing jobs that aren't really fitting for them because they, they don't have that, um, that again, that empowerment, but also that insight into themselves to be able to start to explore it. So it's a really, really good way of seeing where you're stuck, actually. Um, And yes, if you're not doing that, then of course that will, that can lead. And it, it does lead to all sorts of other manifestations and things coming up. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's very important. Last question to end things off. Um, Cause I know you were talking about meditation as well. And um, I think, I believe this to be true, but do you believe like our relationship with food and what we eat can have a spiritual influence as well in our life? Oh, without a doubt. Literally. I mean, you know, without a doubt. Um, Even, you know, even just thinking from my own personal practice, um, like I said, when I go into um, into deep retreats or my own solitary retreats for extended periods of time, um, not only does what my body crave want, but I, the amount that you need is is very, very, very different. Um, your relationship to food is very different. How I see food is exceptionally different. Even with all of the other stuff that I'd done before, um, you know, it just continuously changes. And there's so much, um, uh, like there's such now, the, there's so much um, sacredness around food and eating and the sustenance of life and the opportunity, I mean, you know, the opportunity that eating gives us. So I think it's a huge, it's a very, very important question, but it's huge. Um, and yes, I definitely think there is a very, very strong relationship uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Now, I mean, as we come to an end, is there, I know we've covered a lot, but is there anything you feel that's relevant for listeners to take home? I know you talked about listening to your body, which is probably the most important thing, but is there anything else that you feel we can, we can add before we come to an end here? Um, well, I think to sort of just further play on your final point, I would say that um, I think a solid um, lineage-based meditation practice with instruction from a teacher from a you know a master um i think can do absolutely absolute wonders with exploring this whole domain um obviously not just food and eating but that that as well and i think um i think you know by now i'm at the point where i everyone that i work with i i will um integrate some form of a meditative practice into their into their kind of homework tasks and and you know into this endeavor because i think ultimately it's very very difficult just on the most basic level it's very difficult to catch the identities that play out the behaviors that play out um the automatic behaviors you know of the the hand go it's very difficult to catch that without um holding some kind of mindful attention and um that's something that is you know concentration you know, just to go off on a tangent, people yeah. come to me all the time and say they have uh, diagnoses of ADHD. It's like concentration is, um, it's like a muscle. It can be cultivated and built. Um, and you need concentration when you're doing any kind of work on yourself. You have to be able to concentrate to remember the instructions, to remember uh, what it is that you're trying to work on, to be able to catch yourself doing it. You have to have your concentration there. 
um, and not be kind of blown away by a million different things. Right. And so that needs to be cultivated. And so it really works very well when you're doing any kind of work, not just food, eating and body, but any kind of um, personal development or self-growth work to, to it's, I think, actually essential to also have a, a, some form of a meditative practice. And the reason I said to kind of go with a teacher is because I think that it's not always that easy to get um, the right instructions, even though there's so much out there, you know, and again, that's another big topic. But I think um, just to, to say, I think having good instruction to learn how to actually meditate in a way that is going to support everything else that you're doing is super important. Yeah, yeah. So I lied when I said last question. I do have, <laughs> okay. and this one should be a quick one, hopefully. Um, do you feel like we overconsume food in general, like in today's world? Do, uh, yes, I do feel that we do. Um, yes, is the is the short answer. I, but I think it's more complex than just we're yeah. we're just consuming too much. I think there's so many factors. There's socioeconomic factors. There's um, that there's the access factors, there's our lack of understanding that leads to that. There's a lack of, um, you know, understanding also about nutrition and what the body needs. There's access. And then most importantly, there's our own relationship to food and eating that is just completely out of control, I think, or that we don't have that awareness of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that too. Um, but thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank, thank you for coming you. on here. Um, for listeners, that do want to get a hold of you and learn more about the work you do, what are some ways they can do that? Uh, yeah, you can go on my website. Um, it's drromiran.com. Um, so just doctor and that Romy, my name, R-O-M-I, Ran, R-A-N. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at drromiran. Um, those are probably the main the main ways and then all the other just google my name and you'll get all, all the rest but i would say if you want to if, you know hear any more content i'm putting snippets on um instagram often and then my website kind of gives a deeper sort of uh, explanation of who i am what my experience that sort of thing yeah yeah no that's great i'll put that in the show notes thank you again i feel like there's quite a bit we still could have covered so maybe more to come <laughs> But uh, I appreciate everything you shared and I, I gained a lot from this. I hope, uh, I'm sure the listeners will as well. So, so thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vekan. Great to speak with you. Hey, thank you for checking out this episode with Dr. Ran. I really hope you got a lot out of it. As always, please leave a five-star review or a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Until next week for the next episode.